We're going to read from God's Word in a moment or two. Um, this series that we're about to begin, the third person is going to take us up um, to Pentecost Sunday and just a little beyond that. And we thought it would be really good in the build-up um, to, to Pentecost Sunday to capture something of the heart of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon those early believers uh, and they heard the gospel proclaimed in their own native language. And so we thought it would be really good each week in the build-up to Pentecost Sunday to have someone um, read the scriptures in their own native language and then to read the scriptures again um, in English to us and for us. And so it's wonderful to have Emmanuel with us this morning. Thank you. Emmanuel, do you want to tell us um, which language you're going to read for first of all and where that language is from? Um, do you want to tell us that now before you read God's word for us? Okay. The language I'm going to read on or from is called Ethic. Ethic is spelled as E for Eku, F for Foxtrot, I for India, K for Kilo. So Ethic. Um, it's a variant also of another language called Anang and also Ibibio, of which I am associated with. I'm also associated with um, Arabic, but I'm not going to read Arabic because I know that there's other people okay. here okay. that are keen at that. Um, Ethic is a language from southeastern part of Nigeria, okay, where um, if you're conversant with um, missionary work in Nigeria, um, there's a lady, a missionary called Mary Slezo, that um, helped to eradicate the killing of um, twins because it was a taboo then uh, for women to give birth to twins, so they threw the twins into the evil forest. So a woman from somewhere here, amen? Amen. <laughs> Went over there to spread the gospel. Actually, we're blessed. My great-grandparents were blessed to be amongst the first to receive Christ, you know, in Nigeria. And um, it's um, a place called Calabar. Calabar is an English word, which means call at the bar. Amen? Yeah. So the language is spoken, I think, would be more than several millions of people speak this language. Um, it was a common language then that the Bible was translated to from English to ethic. And even though other tribes also spoke other languages, they had to learn ethic in order to read the Bible. So I... Fortunately, happened to be born in Calabar, though I'm not from Calabar. Amen? Amen. I'm from a tribe that is Anang, my dad's tribe, and my mom's tribe is Ibibio. Okay, so these languages are several millions of people speak them. So I'm going to try to read in Ethic. Emmanuel, read us God's word in Ethic, please. Okay. So this is, so, we're going to read from John chapter 16, um, beginning at verse 7 through to verse 15. Emmanuel. I'll try my best. Ibud Wednyan, Otto Kenwed, John, Ufang, a frekade, or Ibud a frekade, Tongaku Fang Itiaba, a walku Fang, a foot. Edin Tongapanikon Nombufu, Edin Yong me, a yefon yemufu. Kore dieke men yonke ibe de mi ditiene ke mufu. 
Edi manyon, nyedon, enyetien e mufu. Verse 8. Sorry. In an effect, ufangitia ita. Ndien kini, enye, edi de ide. Enye yemen, ifyok, abang idiyong po. Ye, edi nenido, yikwe, otugwerele mbode set. Abang idiyong po, Kurumo mi bwotki dem yemi. Abanga edine nido kuru nyong den tiene ete mufu minyung ikwe miaba. Abanga ikwe kuru ema ikwe 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 obonga dedimburumi. Menyene di wangpo kana ndi neme ye mufu. Edi mufu ikemeke ndi yo mokemi edika adangemi enyoru edidide pa spirit akwaniko enye eyeda mufu oduke ofuri akwaniko koro yiditun ki ko isiemo edi editun pupuru se enye okobde enye yenyu emen siditbede ayarare no mufu enye ayanam Nyanubong Koru enye eyeda sinyene de mi ayarare onomufu. Pupuru se te nyenede ediokum. Ntareri oru ndorodente enye yada sinyene de mi ayarare onomufu. Yarabasi adiyong iko womesi enonyen kenyin Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's the conclusion. <laughs> So the conclusion there was, may God bless his living word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I'll be reading from the NIV version of the Bible now in English. This is the gospel of St. John, starting from, oh, sorry, uh, chapter 16 from verse 7. But verily, sorry, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to, to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he comes, the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you once again, Emmanuel. That was a beautiful moment. Thank you for, for doing that this morning.
Um, I have the, the Presbyterian Herald in front of me. Um, I don't know if you get this. I don't often give it a plug. Um, but this morning, there are, uh, th- this month, there are two very good reasons to read the Herald. Um, one is an article that Rick, Rick Hill has written um, about church planting, which features Central, um, our church plant in the city center. So a great article in that. Um, Dave has contributed to that. And then there's another um, article in this month's Herald about the Asprey revival, the outpouring that took place over in Asprey in Kentucky in the United States. And David Legg, um, a, a pastor and author um, from here in Northern Ireland, and I know some of you know David. Um, David has written um, of his experience in Asprey. I think he traveled there when he was in the States, took a, a 10-hour um, car journey to get there. Um, and he, he shares a little bit um, about the outpouring. Let me just read a little bit of that um, before we think about God's word. When asked if perhaps we in the church are guilty of quenching the work of the Spirit with a lack of, of space for him to move, David wrote this about what he witnessed in Asbury. He said, God can't get into our services because we've basically organized them to death The truth is, we really don't know how to linger. We don't know how to wait on God. We're uncomfortable with pauses, and we're uncomfortable when things are off the order of service trajectory. That's because we are control freaks. So forget the order of service. I'm going to know. um, But as we begin this series... As we begin to press in and, and hear from God about what it means to know the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our individual lives and in our life as a church, we take our hands off. We don't want to control what God, the Holy Spirit, might want to do in our hearts or in our midst. We want him to work. We want him to lead us, to speak to us to transform us from the inside out. You see, as a church, I firmly believe, and I've said this before, that we must have the highest possible view that we can have of the holy word of God, but we must also have the highest view that we can of the Holy Spirit of God, word and spirit at work in our midst to bring about deep transformation in the hearts of God's people. And so in the lead up to to Pentecost Sunday, which is on the 28th of May, we're going to take an in-depth look at the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And we're going to think this morning, we're going to be reintroduced to the person of the Holy Spirit. We're going to meet once again um, the person of the Holy Spirit. Then we're going to think over the coming weeks about the work of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We're going to think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit and revival. So I hope you're looking forward to that. I certainly am. Um, It's a journey that I uh, am relishing us getting into. Um, And as we begin this, I want to just recall Jesus' words in John 16, verse 7, where Jesus speaks to the disciples in that upper room in those moments where he's about to leave them. They're about to be left without his physical presence on the earth. And Jesus says this, he says, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. 
Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I've often pondered this verse. And the thought that comes to mind is, is Jesus really saying what I think he's saying to his disciples? Is it really for their good that he leaves them? Like, really, Jesus? Is it really for their good that you leave them, that you physically leave them, that your physical presence is no longer with your disciples? Well, that's how the NIV puts it. And just to cross-reference and double-check things, I looked at the RSV, and the RSV puts it like this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the counselor will not come to you. What about the New Living Translation? It puts it like this. But in fact, Jesus says, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. What about Eugene's, uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase um, of the Bible? Well, he, he puts it like this. So let me say it again. This truth, it's better for you that I leave. If I don't leave, the friend won't come. So yes, that's what we're hearing. Jesus is saying that it is for their good that he leaves. It is for their advantage, to their advantage that he leaves. It is for the better of them that he leaves. We're hearing Jesus correctly. So first big thought this morning is this. The Holy Spirit, so much better. So much better. Jesus is saying to the disciples and to us, I'm going away, but that's going to make things so much better for you. I'm going away, but it's going to be so much better for you because the helper is coming. The helper is coming. This farewell discourse, and we've, we've been into this and out of this a few times over the last few months, but these chapters in John's gospel between chapters 14 and chapter 17 were in this moment when Jesus is alone with his disciples in that upper room. He speaks about lots of things. Jesus' final words recorded um, for us to his disciples. And somewhere in between Jesus' pain, those painfully disappointing moments, when Jesus both predicts Peter's denial of him and Judas' betrayal of him in between that moment and that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane that is just an incredibly painfully cruel moment when Jesus is dragged off to be crucified. In between those moments, we have this moment when Jesus tells his disciples that he's no longer going to be with them, but that he would send the Holy Spirit and that when the Spirit comes, that will be so much better for them. The point for us is this. We need to get this. The point is, God's indwelling presence is better for us today than God's presence in human form. God's indwelling presence is better for us today than God in human form. Yet I don't think we believe that to be true. 
If I was to take a show of hands, you know, would you rather, okay, would you rather, Carmoney Church, would you rather have Jesus with us this morning, okay, physically with us in the building? Would you rather have him physically with us? Or would you rather have the indwelling, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit with us? You know what I'd love? I'd love actually if Jesus were physically here. Because do you know why I would love that? I would get him on the welcome team. I'd get him doing the announcements. That's the hardest bit of the service. I would get him leading from the front. I'd get Jesus praying, reading the Bible passage as well as you read it, Emmanuel. I would get Jesus to read God's word to us. He is the living word. I would get him to read that. I would get him, sorry, Shane. I'd get him to lead worship whatever way that looks like. And I would definitely get Jesus to preach. Wouldn't that be amazing? And I'd get him on prayer ministry all by himself. And he'd be more than able to handle it. And if Jesus was physically here, I'd definitely invite him round to the manse afterwards for Sunday dinner. And yet the reality is that that is not best for us. The truth is, The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is often forgotten about, overlooked, and misunderstood. We don't realize the presence and power of the Spirit of God. Often overlooked, often forgotten about, often misunderstood, relegated at times to a mere notion somewhere in our minds that really doesn't make much of a difference in our everyday living. But we want that to change, if that's the case. Back whenever I was teaching, there was a subject introduced. I think it was only introduced whenever I was teaching. And the subject was called LLW. Any young people know what that is? Teachers, I'm sure, know what that is. LLW, Learning for Life and Work. Now, it's familiar now, but see back then, whenever it came out, um, we knew what maths was. We knew what English was, science pretty much made sense, but what on earth was LLW, learning for life and work? What does that even mean? How can you teach young people to learn about life and work? What what does that look like as a subject? Um, It's familiar now, but it wasn't overly familiar back then. It's a little bit like that within the Christian church. We're familiar with God the Father, the creator and the sustainer of all things, the one who made you and me and who made this entire universe We're familiar with God the Son, truly human, truly God, the one who died on the cross for the sins of the world and rose again, victorious, defeating Satan, sin and death. But God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, we can sometimes be a little unfamiliar with who he really is. Tyler Staten says this, He says the great tragedy in the church in our time is that the Holy Spirit has become a familiar stranger. It must break the heart of Jesus. The spirit he was eager to give us has become unknown, feared, and divisive. The Holy Spirit, he says, has become a stranger. Well, my desire is that through this series, if there's any sense of strangeness, misunderstanding, fear in relation to the person and work of the Holy Spirit, that that would be gone. Sometimes we struggle because he doesn't quite fit in with our rational thinking. 
with our linear thought patterns. Sometimes we can live with a fear of what might actually happen should we lean into the reality of the presence and power of the Spirit of God. And yet the Holy Spirit is never to be feared. He's gentle like a dove. His presence is beautiful. He makes our faith come to life as he points us to Jesus. So as a result of all of this, I believe at times the church at large can lack power. Some Christians, even professing Christians, can become very underwhelmed, can become disillusioned and disappointed with their faith. Their faith can seem dead. Their faith can seem really inactive at times because there is no sense of the life-giving presence and power of the Spirit of God at work. Whenever I was a young Christian, there was one question, probably more than any other, that made a difference in my life. After I kind of surrendered everything to Jesus and laid it all down as best as I could, the question after that was, there must be more than this. There must be more than this, God. There must be more than some kind of notion of faith. There must be more than some kind of what we often say is kind of dead religion. There must be more. There must be more. Jesus lives. We live with him. We're alive in him. There must be more. That drove me on as a young believer. Spoke into my life. I experienced the presence and the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Began to desire to be daily filled with his presence. And everything changes. There must be more than this. There is more. There is always more. And so first of all, the Holy Spirit, he is for our good. Life in him, life in him is so much better. So much better. I'm going to meander for a moment or two from the passage. We'll come back to it in a, in a few minutes. But as we reintroduce ourselves to the third person, the Holy Spirit, a couple of quick things. The Holy Spirit is operational in the Old Testament, okay? He's operational in the Old Testament. I think a mistake made by many people is to, to think that the Holy Spirit of God just makes his first appearance at Pentecost and, and that's where it all begins. But actually, to fully grasp the magnitude of God's gift to us, we must understand the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, in all of Scripture, from Genesis to Malachi to Revelation, the work of the Spirit through it all. Um, I could do an entire sermon series on that, the Holy Spirit from Genesis to Revelation. Um, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Maybe one day, maybe we'll do that at some point. Maybe we'll come back to that. But if you do want to have a fuller overview um, of that kind of topic, come along to the next Alpha course that we run. Um, the session, session eight, who's the Holy Spirit, unpacks that um, a little bit. The Holy Spirit from Genesis to Revelation. Um, so you can check that out online or come along to the next Alpha course if you want to find out more than that. But the Holy Spirit, he is operational in the Old Testament. It doesn't all just begin at Pentecost, okay? The next thing is this, the Holy Spirit, he is divine and personal in nature. He's divine. 
The Bible shows us that there's this incredible, unique, special interrelationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct divine personalities, co-eternal, co-existent, so they've always been together in perfect community, perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct divine personalities together from eternity past, always in perfect relationship and communion with each other. So we must always remember that the Holy Spirit will glorify the Son and the Father that there's a work within the Spirit of God. He's so joined in unison and perfect community with the Father and the Son that there will always be this sense of glorifying God, pointing us to God, pointing us to Jesus. It's the work of the Spirit because He is co-eternally, co-existent. He is God. In the Gospel accounts, Jesus, there's a beautiful moment where Jesus commands his followers to be baptized in the name, singular, in the name, singular, of all three persons, plural, of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It just hammers home this beautiful, beautiful, perfect relationship and communion between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is divine, but he is also personal. He's also personal. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. It's going to put a wee warning out here. If I ever hear anyone talking about the Holy Spirit as if he's an it, some kind of force from a galaxy far, far away, I'll pull you up on that. I've done that before. He is a he. It's personal. Don't speak about him as if he's some kind of force. from some other galaxy, some kind of Star Wars thing. He's not. He's a he. He's personal in being. The, uh, the New Testament teaches us that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a teaching, speaking, interceding, grieving person. He can be quenched, Resisted, lied to, he can be hurt. We can grieve him. We also find out in the New Testament, the Spirit of God has a will, he's a mind, feels things as God does. We don't ever want to resist him or lie to him or blaspheme him as the third person of the Godhead. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, you may have heard that, that word, which means one who is called alongside. He is the one who is called alongside. It's where, it's where our word, our English word advocate comes from. It's where our English word comforter comes from or our English word helper comes from. That word paraclete is, is um, translated in all of those ways. He is the, the comforter. He is the advocate, the one who speaks on our behalf, who is there for us. He is the wonderful counselor. He's the helper. He is the one, Jesus says, who draws alongside us, who is with us. He's the best friend you could ever have. Do you know that? 
Do you know his presence in that way in your life? The underlying truth about the Holy Spirit is that God comforts his people through the indwelling presence, personal presence of his spirit. How we all need that. Do you need that in your life? It's not just me. We, we need this closeness of presence in our lives. How awful would it be if our faith was also distant, if God was also far away, disconnected from our everyday lives? One of the, one of the, the things I always find myself communicating to people when they lose loved ones is that God is close to the brokenhearted. He comforts those who mourn. That we do not live for and serve a God who is far, far away. He is in the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. He is all at once advocate, helper, counselor, the best friend you could ever have. He's in you if you're a believer and he walks with you. He's the paraclete. He is God's comforting presence in your life. We all need that. Bible scholar W.E. Vine says that the Holy Spirit is someone who can be to us what Jesus was to his disciples. I'll just say that again. The, the Holy Spirit is someone who can be to us what Jesus was to his disciples. That's who he is. He's divine and he's personal. And so it is for our good that Jesus went, ascended back to the Father, and it is for our good that he has sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. So back to the passage, little meander over, back to the passage. So the Holy Spirit, his primary role. What is his primary role? Why is it better? Why is it better for us that the Holy Spirit should come in this way after Jesus left the earth? Why is it better for us that, that he comes and there's this kind of full power available only after Jesus has gone. Why is that better for us? Well, I think we need to understand the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to unpack this more in the weeks that are to come. We're going to think about the work of the Spirit, what he does in our lives, what he has come to do in and through us. But his primary purpose is to testify about Jesus. His primary purpose is to testify to the world about Jesus and to glorify the Son of God. It's going to make that really clear. His primary purpose is to testify to Jesus, to show the world who Jesus is, and to glorify the Son. John chapter 16 um, verses 13 and 14 in the passage that was read this morning, Jesus says this. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will, this is, this is Jesus saying this, he will glorify me. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit will always, always testify to the Son of God. And he will always live and, and intercede and work for the glory of Jesus. And get this, the only age in which the Holy Spirit can glorify Jesus most powerfully is in the age after his death. 
okay, in the age after his death. Why? Because after his death, we get to see what he has done for us. In the age after his death and resurrection and ascension, the Spirit of God glorifies the Son because all of that has been done. He points to the cross. He points to resurrection life. He appoints to the Son of God who sits at the right hand of the Father, the King of kings, reigning and ruling over all things. That's why it's after Jesus has died, rose again and ascended to the Father, the Spirit glorifies the Son most powerfully. You see, the primary ministry, the most basic ministry of the Holy Spirit, his ministry is multifaceted. But the primary ministry of the Spirit of God is to reveal to the world the glory of Jesus who was crucified for the sins of the world. The primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the glory of Jesus who was raised to life again, who defeated Satan, sin, and death. And the Holy Spirit's primary ministry is to reveal the glory of Jesus who reigns in kingly power from heaven until he returns again. It's the primary role of the Spirit of God. This is primarily what the Spirit wants to do in and through us as a church family. Some of you are going to love some of these pictures, if I can put these up. What do Elvis Presley, Michael Jordan, Lionel Messi, and J.K. Rowling have in common? What connects these four people? You're probably thinking, I have absolutely no idea. Well, Elvis Presley was told that he couldn't sing. My dad tells me he's got the greatest voice the world has ever heard. Michael Jordan was told that he wasn't good enough for the varsity basketball team. Became the greatest basketball player the world has ever seen. Apparently. I've never really seen him play. Apparently. Lionel Messi, on his first day at school in Rosario, Argentina, he was told to watch from the sidelines as the other lads played football. Why? Because he was too small. J.K. Rowling, she was told, quote, to get a day job, it's impossible to make a living writing children's books. I think she's done more than make a basic living. So what have they all got in common? They proved the world to be wrong. Don't you love it when someone proves the world wrong? I love it when young people prove their teachers wrong. I love it when somebody proves the world to be wrong. Do you ever get frustrated at just how wrong the world seems to be about Jesus? Do you ever get frustrated at just how wrong the world seems to understand the gospel that we believe in? Do you ever get frustrated at just how wrong the world seems to be about the love of God in Christ? but the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and what it means for ordinary people like us. Does it ever frustrate you? It frustrates me. 
As one author writes, the powers, the principalities, the systems, and the cultures, the governments of this world are in rebellion against God, and the Spirit is in the world convicting rebels of their rebellion. Just look at what Jesus says in verses 8 to 11. He says that the Holy Spirit will be at work in the world, proving the world to be wrong. Isn't this brilliant? The Holy Spirit is at work in the world, proving the world to be wrong about three things. Look at the text if you're following along, in case you don't believe me. He's proving the world to be wrong about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. Then Jesus explains exactly what he means. He says this, verses 9 to 11. He says, the Spirit is proving the world to be wrong about sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, he says, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Verse 11, about judgment because the prince of this world, that's the Satan, he stands condemned. We're going to come to the powerful gifts of the Spirit and the beautiful fruit of the Holy Spirit in a few weeks' time. But as Jesus introduces the one who will come when he leaves, he speaks of the Spirit's primary purpose in revealing to the world, a world who is in the wrong, the truth about sin. That sin has actually been crucified with Jesus upon the cross. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit helps the world to recognize how wrong they are about sinfulness and their need of a Savior. Everybody needs compassion, kindness of a Savior, the one who is mighty to save. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He proves the world wrong about their sin and their need of salvation. Secondly, the Spirit is here to reveal the truth about righteousness. True righteousness only available through the finished work of Jesus. We're not able to make ourselves righteous. No amount of good work, so I'm a really good person. I'm righteous by the good things that I do. It doesn't wash. Only Jesus makes us righteous right before God. The Holy Spirit points to true righteousness in Christ. And then thirdly, he's proving the world wrong about judgment. You see, there is a false judgment out there in the world. There is a false judgment that the accuser, Satan, would like the world to believe. In fact, he would like the world to believe that there is no judgment, that you can just cruise on by without a care in the world. But let's remember, Satan has been disarmed of his accusations against us and who is it that now stands condemned? He does. He's defeated, he's beaten, and he stands condemned. And so the Holy Spirit reveals to this world the truth about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. And he points us to life in all of its fullness found only in Jesus. And so we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, prove this world wrong. Come, Holy Spirit, in love, bottom power, prove 
this world wrong. Point them to Jesus. You know what, God? Use us. Use us as a church in that mission. Come Holy Spirit among us. Come among us. Be alive within us. Reveal Jesus to us. Use us with great courage and power to be in the world revealing the truth about sin and about righteousness and about judgment and about life in Jesus' name. Come Holy Spirit, do your work in and through us. That's the heart cry behind this series. Trying to get you excited about it. Um, we're going to worship God in a moment or two. Let me bring our worship team, Shane, if you guys want to come up. We're going to sing in response in a moment. Just as we, as we do this, as we prepare our hearts, I think I shared this before um, at the beginning of my time all those years ago, like eight months ago. I think I shared about an African missionary couple um, who lived in the stifling African heat, not sure which country, possibly Nigeria. And they spoke of the importance of discovering in their little house on which side of the house the wind was blowing, which side of the house the breeze was blowing, because whenever they discovered where the breeze was blowing, they took their two little chairs and they, they sat their chairs down and they enjoyed the breeze that was coming up over the savannah, bringing invigorating, an invigorating sense of freshness uh, and life to their warm, weary bodies. Isn't that what we want to do? We want to position ourselves where the Spirit is blowing, where the Spirit is moving. We want to posture our hearts towards Him. That's the heartbeat of this series. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to sing. Let me take you back just as we stand together. David Legg's words. I want to read this again. I think it's really important. On the back of his experience in Kentucky, he said, just read the same thing again. He said, God can't get into our services because we basically organized them to death. The truth is we don't really know how to linger. We don't know how to wait on God. We're uncomfortable with pauses and we're uncomfortable when things are off the order of service trajectory. And that's because we're control freaks. So Heavenly Father, as we bow before you in this moment, we pause in your presence and we simply pray that in this stillness there would be an awareness of your holy presence. We don't need hype. We don't need anything else in the stillness. Give us an awareness of your tangible presence.
in the stillness. May we know your goodness. In the stillness, may we sense your holiness. In the stillness, remind us of your faithfulness. And so collectively we pray, come Holy Spirit. Lead us deeper into our awareness and understanding of the presence of God. And as we lift our voices in response, Spirit of God, prompt us to worship King Jesus in spirit and in truth. In his name we pray. Amen.